research we normally do. How you doing this morning, sir? I'm doing well. I'm so doing uh, well. did you need the Biden T-shirt to get back into the country for reentry when you return from Central America? Well, uh, you went. Can I let you in on a little secret? Oh, my goodness. I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still here. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting out the swab. I guess. I don't know, man. Do I need to send you a Biden t-shirt to get you in? Is that what? (laughs) Yeah. Dude, I'm I'm sitting there and I'm looking at that picture. It's not one or two t-shirts. And they're not like, you know, they're they're not leftover t-shirts from the election. Like, you know, like you see those kids over in poor countries that think the Bills won four straight. Right. Right. Yeah, maybe it's like the Hornets. Yeah, like all the Hornets jerseys. They all get shipped down to, you know, uh, Central and South America. Yeah. Right, right, right. No, those are custom, dude. Those are customized, and they're on dozens and dozens and dozens of people. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So Did the- you read the uh, article I, I talked about a little earlier? It's from the uh, Federalists, and they were, they were going into detail about how it's so overwhelming. The one, uh, I don't know if you probably heard this yesterday, they were talking about redesigning one of the, the border facilities to be a fast-track, kind of entry point of entry for mm-hmm. people claiming asylum, essentially to create an Ellis Island, mm-hmm. uh, if you will. But uh, without the part where they actually, if they test positive for COVID, they prevent them from getting on a bus to North Carolina. Right. Because um, that would separate the, people. That would separate yeah, families. And you can't do that. Can't do that, man. Uh, but more importantly, the wristband system that the cartels and human smugglers have implemented. They're wristbanding them as an inventory thing because it's too overwhelming for them. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, that's all you could do is laugh. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, it, and I pointed out on the show, uh, one of the things that is incredibly sad is, uh, you know, my beef doesn't lie with the guy who's dirt poor in Honduras who's, who wants to take his family here. It's that when you have an article, a news article, talking about how the Biden administration is going to, turn one of these facilities essentially into an Ellis Island, if you will. That's the article that then gets used, and I'm not making this up, in newspaper ads in sure. Guatemala yeah, and I- in Honduras to recruit these folks. Mm-hmm. And and because they think, and then they look at it and they sign themselves up for a debt that they, in some cases, are paying sexually, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or at the very least, they're, they're threatened violence against their family. And all of these things have consequences, Pete. Yeah. Well, Casey, that's a pretty nuanced uh, examination of a complex uh, issue, Uh, you know, looking at various aspects of illegal immigration along the border and its impact on society and the people that it harms. As such, I feel like I just need to call you a xenophobic racist at this point, just in case you haven't gotten that response yet. I just I feel like that's missing from the from the discussion. They just had a couple in Fayetteville that was arrested because they had Honduran slaves, allegedly. Yeah. Well, this is this. Yeah. And this is what happens. The people who who use the black market system, the smuggling system in order to get in, they are then vulnerable to be taken advantage of in perpetuity because they are uh, you're able to have leverage over them to extort them and to force them to do things that they otherwise would not be able to do for fear of not enjoying the protection of law, which is why you want to do it legally. So when you come in everybody has 
those protections and you don't get taken advantage of. And here's the key. I know this sounds crazy, but you're aware of these protections so you don't get taken advantage of. That's part of the process, too, is that you get told like, hey, be aware. You are like when you're starting up your business, the secretary of state in North Carolina sends you this message. It's like, be aware of all the scammers. They're going to be hitting you up with emails and letters and stuff trying to get you to pay for bulletin board material. You don't need it. And uh, that's kind of the same thing. Like you could be alerted to these uh, to these scammers and these criminals that try to take advantage of uh, new immigrants to America. Yeah, it's um, uh, dude. And you know, I was just thinking while you're saying that one. Wow. Pizza bigot, too. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Secondly, I appreciate you, know, you at the end of the day. That, yes. At the, yeah, 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 yeah. Come to the, welcome to the team um, <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, who will uh, who will scam you the most for the most dollars will be the government, actually. So true. You got that going for you as well. <laughs> um, let's let's uh, real quickly. I want to revisit this. Are you were you surprised when um, with with the outcome of the vote on the schools bill, the back to schools bill, where you had one of the sponsors didn't even show up and another guy, uh, a senator from the triad. Uh, flipped his vote because, mm-hmm. and I'm quoting here, and I wish I were not quoting, because, quote, he's a Democrat and the governor's a Democrat. Yeah, and the governor asked him. Yeah, Paul Lowe, when he's not smacking phones out of reporters' hands, right? Um, he's uh, taking calls from the governor, telling him to flip his vote, and because of party loyalty, he did so. And also, let's also keep in mind that um, his district uh, is uh, he, his schools in his district, uh, they're largely on the hybrid schedule. So it doesn't really affect a lot of the kids in his district. So pff, who cares? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, if, if uh, look, the one thing throughout like the last decade, especially it, the one thing that Roy Cooper has proven time and again, which is that he is willing to sacrifice North Carolina citizens for personal political advantage, right? Remember the HB2 stuff where he whipped up businesses against uh, the economic interests of the state and the people who work in those industries, right? Did so in order to what? Make his case against Pat McCrory and to become governor. So uh, th- this is what he's willing to do, like the uh, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline slush fund deal that uh, all, that he almost got done. Uh, so he's willing to do these things. Uh, and so, no, I'm not surprised that he pressured Paul Lowe or um, Ben Clark of the I think the Ben Clark five. Right. I think that's uh, his claim to fame. Anyway, he, he pressured them. And so Clark just decided not to show. And I'm not buying the excuse, but kudos to Senator Berger for saying, OK, you know what? We'll have another vote. Bring him back and let's have you cast your vote. Let's see how you're going to vote. And it looks like Clark is going to flip also. He's not going to support it. So yeah. is that surprising to me that Democrats cave to a lame duck governor? Kind of. What's more surprising is how uncurious political media reporters are about it. Like at the press conference, uh, the press conference or the COVID briefings that occur, you had two of them, right? And at the last one, nobody asked a single question about this. How do you not ask a single question of the governor about whether or not he leaned on Paul Lowe and Ben Clark? And kudos to Senator Kirk DeVere for... uh, uh, for standing you yeah. know, by his original vote. He deserves a lot of credit because the pressure he's been under, I'm sure, is immense. So because uh, they only needed one extra vote besides, you know, Clark or Lowe. And so what they said, so what, yeah, what Ben Clark is saying is that uh, he sponsored the legislation. He supported the legislation. He urged people to vote for the legislation. But when one guy tells him, don't do it, 
He doesn't do it. Screw all of the constituents. And what this is about is who gets credit now. They don't want Republicans getting credit for reopening the schools. So now you've got, because what happened, what, yesterday, the DHHS uh, turns around and updates their toolkit recommendations, which, by the way, they could have done at any point, right? The criticism, Mm -hmm. the reason that Cooper was citing, like, oh, it doesn't, you know, follow the guidelines, like, you guys could update these guidelines whenever you want. Or better yet, Governor, you could do an executive order, kind of like the one you issued to shut the schools down in the first place. But now we're supposed to believe it's all about local control. He wants the boards to have local control, so much so that he doesn't trust them to reopen safely unless they have explicit guidelines on how to do it. Is that local control or not? They're talking out of both sides of their mouths because all this is is a run-out-the-clock play in order to get as many schools to start reopening as possible so then they can say, we don't need Senate Bill 37, we don't need this bill from the Republicans, they don't get credit for reopening schools, but also, more importantly, it protects his power. He doesn't have to cede any kind of power from the executive branch that the uh, that he says, you know, well, I'm going to lose the authority to shut down schools again. Uh, yeah. And you might you might actually have earned that um, because of the way you know he's been behaving, especially in the last uh, month or so. And of all the states, New York is getting ready to now. Obviously, there's more things going on with their governor. But <laughs> New York, which is a legislative body that is a Democratic legislative body, is getting ready to claw back um, the executive powers Mm -hmm. uh, as it pertains to emergency management. Other states are looking to do um, this as well. Yeah. And now you got uh, General Assembly members that are looking to run local bills to get their local jurisdictions out from under these executive orders as well. Uh, This is this is what happens when you start losing the consent of the governed. Right. This is what it looks like. And uh, I am kind of curious the next time that Cooper does a. a COVID briefing, I'm wondering if anybody's going to ask him about New York Governor Cuomo, because Cooper is now getting ready to take over as head of the Governor's Association, right? So as a, as a, yeah. you know, a guy who holds himself up as, you know, leading the best COVID response in America, does Cooper have any thoughts about the guy who apparently sacrificed thousands of elderly people in nursing homes in order to write a book, right? Like that's, that, that's you know, what this looks like yeah. now. What's adorable, too, is the New York Times and Wall Street Journal are both running these stories as though they're brand new. Right. Um, that uh, the administration was, uh, uh, the Cuomo administration was not counting people if they physically died outside of the walls of the nursing home. That was reported months and months and months ago by, uh, you know, not the mainstream media, if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are known commodities up there. And, and now they're just digging, digging, digging over there. And, um, yeah. It's I, one of... Know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know I, I was going to say it's one of the issues that arises when you have a when you have um, an ideologically homogenous newsroom. Right. Is that you don't know what you right. don't know. And I've told this story over the years. I, I worked for a brief time. I won't say where, but I worked at a, uh, uh, at a I worked in a newsroom at one point and I was pitching a story about a uh, there was a, a fundraising event going on for a candidate for Congress, and they were bringing in some guy f- uh, from a national gun organization, and he, wanted, he was going to talk about Fast and Furious. And so I pitched this story. Now, when I say Fast and Furious, you know what I'm talking about. Your audience knows what right. I'm talking yeah. about. But this entire Very newsroom, yeah. yeah, had no idea. The entire news staff had no idea what I was talking about. They said the movie? They had no idea that there was a gun running operation. That's what I mean. If you don't, if you're not exposed to these other. 
you should have just said, yeah, you should have said Vin Diesel's going to be there, and they just told you to go cover it, man. That's right. Right, so this is why you this is why you want people of different interests and different ideological and philosophical perspectives to be in a newsroom setting, so this way you have these uh, these other inputs, and it makes you more informed. Even if you dismiss it as not a story, at least you are now aware that this story exists, and the fact that these folks are all, and I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, because I really don't believe they're not aware of this stuff, right? Um, but give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're ignorant of it. You could be less ignorant if, you know, you brought in different types of people. And I don't know, like the Wall Street Journal, I don't think there's any explanation for that. I think that's just that's just foolish because, you know, there are conservatives that work at the Wall Street Journal. Let me ask you a uh, oh, yeah. Let me ask you a quick question here. Just have a couple of minutes left. We're chatting with Pete Callender. You can catch his podcast at Pete Callender Show com or via the iHeartRadio app or uh, most of the others. Do you, Pete Callender, feel that learning loss is a false construct? <laughs> I think at this point, everything, everything is a false construct. Everything is a false construct. No. I just, I like, this is, th- this is the height of absurdity. And I wish I could have seen this tweet when it actually went out. Uh, but she blocked me. We're talking about Tamika Walker oh, no. Kelly or whatever. Yeah, the head of the NCAE. Yeah. NCAE Apparently, head. Yeah. yeah, they're on. She's on a block fest. Like I don't think I've ever. I followed her on Twitter, and I don't think I ever had any actual interaction with her. Uh, but uh, I somebody else said, "Oh, I got blocked by her." And I said, "Let me check and see." And sure enough, I'm blocked. A bunch of these other NCAE well, people have blocked me. You've seen these lists, right? Yeah, because yeah. I'm on the if I if you're on this list, I'm on this list too. Yes. So there are lists, there are whole block lists that I call them moonbats. Moonbats will share with each other, mm-hmm. and then they there's a script where they can go through if they're accessing it on the computer, and Twitter will automatically block essentially any uh, you know uh, radio host or or, or Republican uh, elected official or any of the rest. They will go through and they will uh, block all of them. Right. Well, it's and, difficult and otherwise to get the resonance needed in the echo chamber. You know, you're trying to fine tune sure. yeah. that sound and, you know, you get Casey coming in there just mucking it all up. So, uh, yeah, you don't you, you don't need that voice in your chamber. So uh, just so people are clear, the head of the NCAE put a tweet out saying that the um, and it was um, it was in response, actually, to the story about how the majority of third grade students who took the beginning of grade reading <laughs> exam yeah. um, uh, did not do well. No. And, um, and so she was pushing back on summer slide or this this complaint that parents have that the kids are not learning stuff right now because everything's crazy. Um, and she says that that is a false construct um, because I guess if the kids learn one new thing, then they're still learning stuff. And uh, as a parent, uh, some, you know. As a parent, I would be very upset if I had a child in the uh, schools and I'm watching that, you know, where, what their actual progress is to hear the head of the NCA say this. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure if there is if they, well, let me say it this way. If this is not uh, reason enough for lawmakers and parents to start dismantling the government run K-12 school monopoly, I'm not sure what other excuse you need. Seriously. Um, It's a dependency relationship. And I understand breaking dependency is hard, um, but you're going to be healthier afterwards. And uh, if you and the, the the path forward here is to attach the dollars to the kids and dismantle this uh, this model because you've become I mean think about it people literally live where they live in order to be near a government service and then they take the government service away uh, 
and you see the problems now your kids and your parents that you're all going through withdrawal and you need to break this cycle of dependency and if this isn't gonna if this doesn't show you where people's real motives are on this stuff i'm not sure what will pete the website pete i appreciate it i got a roll but uh, we'll chat next week all right man all right thank you and we'll be back hang on